0: Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with the awesome Smartcasts and Najahi events, more about them later. Now, you know when you follow people on social media, some resonate with you, some don't, some kind of like hit a chord and make you consume more and more of their content. Today's guest has got 1.9 million followers on TikTok. He's literally become a kind of internet sensation with his kind and thoughtful ways of sharing information um, for Muslims and non-Muslims, particularly in Saudi Arabia. Abdul Rahman started as an atheist until he was the age of 18 when he found Islam. And the story and the journey he went on is fabulous. Some ups and downs for sure. Mum and dad didn't really approve, but he kept his faith, moved to Saudi Arabia, built a family, had some tragedy along the way. But with now 1.9 million followers, he clearly is somebody that many people resonate with. I can't wait to talk to what I think is one of the nicest people out there. So let's get him on the show. Cue the music. organizations such as smartcasts who are solving the problem of food security in the world have supported this podcast because they believe in the mission that i'm on when you understand the work that they do at trying to solve the problem with this massive population growth we've been having over the years and providing a way of bringing food safely to everybody it really is something i admire and lastly thank you to najahi events who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. So Rahman, it's so good to have you on the show, it really <laughs> is. It feels like I kind of, I kind of knew you for some time and you know how the algorithms work on social Mm -hmm. media once you start kind of like engaging with some people's content then all of a sudden it feeds you more and more (laughs) and i saw this larger than life guy that just kept it was almost like bringing joy in the way that you shared content it was kind of warmth and it was smiling and it was it was talking sometimes about challenging subjects, but with a warm energy to it as well. Mm. So first of all, thank you so much for that content you make. I really enjoy
1: it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So much.
0: And secondly, how on earth did this all start for you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Well, really happy to be here with you today. And I was telling you before that whenever somebody says that they've been following you for some time, if it was anything but social media, you'd be like, wait, what the hell? What do you mean you've been following me for some time? That's a bit creepy, but you do get, you do, you do get used to it. With respect to how the whole social media side of things uh, blew up, it started with a strategy, and that strategy moved quite slowly. And then all of a sudden, everything just, just exploded. Um, so back in 2017, I was listening to Gary Vee, and he was talking about building your, your, your personal brand and he was talking about using LinkedIn video and I thought I'd love to be able to do that but I I can't make videos I mean I, I wouldn't even know where to start and I told myself well not knowing where to start is not a reason for not starting you need to you need to figure it out so I started trying to figure out how to make my first video and um and did but I did it took 100 150 takes before I was even remotely comfortable with posting anything um, okay. Eventually managed to put put a video together, put it on LinkedIn, and that's that's where it started. So if, if you mean where did it start in terms of social media, that's where it started, if you meant anything else. So 2017? 2017. 2017, Okay, yeah. and how long did it take before it took off? Properly? Oh, um, well I started, I was doing reasonably okay on LinkedIn uh-huh. um, at, at first. When I say reasonably okay, I was, you know, uh, Getting a, getting a few likes, a few comments, and then it would start to to go up. And so I get 10 likes, 20 likes, 30. but it took a good year before before numbers really started going up. And in that year, not only did I learn so much, but I repeatedly upset the members of my family by making content that quite obviously, when I look back at it now, is really, really like, bad in terms of my my own, you know, performance in front of the camera. I posted one of my videos to show people, look, this is how it all started. And I was like a robot. I mean, honest, I was, my first video, I, I just stared at the camera. This is the one that was after like 100, 150 takes. I mean, I remember being in my office and just just recording and recording and recording. And the final version I put out was so, it was just horrific. And I, I just, I'm looking at the camera like a robot, as if I got a gun to my head and I just said, Hello, my name is Abdurrahman. I, actually, I blinked, but in the video, I didn't even blink. That's, that was one of the weird things. So I was just <laughs> staring, and, my name is Abdurrahman. Let me tell you about my... And it was just, it, it was, it, honestly, it was awful. And, but it was through that, that I think I started to realize, oh, if you can just make some adjustments, you can make some improvement. And once you start making some improvement, then you start getting results. Yeah. And when I started to get results, then I started to think to myself, all right, let me keep going. Uh, and, and I did. I think you telling that
0: story will take everybody back to the first video they ever made, for those right. that do. I'm sure. Because it took me straight there. And I, <laughs> I remember making my first video. I got, uh, I got into gadgets at the time. Okay. I'm like, right, I need all the gadgets, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember having this thing where, where I was told I needed light on my face mm. and so I got this um, this phone cover with a sucker on the back of it Yes. so in the office I could stick it to the window Amazing. in the office and the light would come through anyway I've got my microphone I've it. got my camera my phone camera and I'm ready to go I've got my t-shirt with my logo <laughs> on and everything else and I do my thing mm. and I think I've created the world's greatest video <laughs> <laughs> uh, for anybody that will still see it today wherever it may be I apologise <laughs> it's awful but I think that we all go through that don't we yeah you know, that that kind of like you know i'm the, am i the kind of person to make videos or oh, probably i shouldn't videos. oh I, it's not really me 100 you know, i i i don't 100%. i don't like the sound of my own voice yeah. and i don't know how i, I don't like how i look mm. and all that kind of stuff and there's loads of self-doubt and you know some people sabotage themselves but there's definitely yeah. a lot of fear yeah thinking that the whole world mm. is going to see your first video definitely when three people might yeah <laughs> no,
1: absolutely and and i think a big part of it is is as you mentioned is thinking, which I think is quite natural, to think about, what will people's response be? Rather than, what doors can this open up? What what, what are the possibilities that could come from me putting myself in this un- uncomfortable position? What what might open up for me? Even though that might be the driving force behind what you're doing, it seems, to, you, you seem to kind of get overwhelmed, or I did at least, with, what are people going to think? My colleagues, my family, my old school friends? You know, what's, everybody going to think. But for me, there was no, there was no other option to do what I was doing. Why? A driving force for me, quite honestly, was on LinkedIn. I'd been on LinkedIn for a few years and wasn't doing much with it. And, and I was conscious of the fact that when you look the way that I do, with a big beard on your face, naturally people, you know, infer or people assume that they, they know who you are or what type of character you might be and so having this bid I knew that just having a photograph w- wasn't going to cut it and I went to a website there's a, I've forgotten the name of it there's a website you can go to where you can upload a photo of yourself right and you can get feedback from other people using the website on your photo oh. for you to get the feedback you have to give feedback on 10 other people's photos I'll get the name for you Wow! So I uploaded my photo, and the kids know this, everybody know I uploaded my photo, my profile photo at first, and the comments that came back, and this was the one that I was putting on all of my, you know, CVs and everything for years. <laughs> the comments that I got back, I mean, they ranged from psycho to, you know, obviously terrorist to lunatic. To, I was like, what? Like, me? Like, you, you crazy? But wow. then, so that, then I was really cognizant of the fact that people won't get to know who I am by looking at a picture of me.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So I need to be able to show people who I am in order for them to get to know me. And if they get to know me, then it will be easier to build my personal brand, which ultimately was, was my goal. Do you think if you had
0: a guitar in your hand that have said ZZ Top?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember listening to ZZ Top when I was in boarding school. <laughs> all, all those memories came, came back to me. But, but, but yes, absolutely. But the fact that my name, I changed my name when I was 18, that's another story, but when sure. my name uh, is Abdurrahman and you look the way that I do, I just felt that it was not in any way that I would change anything. I would never change a single thing about the way that, that I am uh, in terms of my, you know, having a beard. I'm very happy with it. I love it. But I have to be aware of the way that people might perceive me if they don't know who I am. So that, that's kind of what, what kept me... Me pushing,
0: it's interesting you say that. I was talking to an Emirati the other day, Mm. and I'm like, Do you guys have a little bit of a laugh at our expense when you're all wearing your candles (laughs) and and you're sitting there thinking, We don't know whether you're a prince or an office worker? (laughs) And you sit there as you walk into a room, and we're like, Oh, could I get in trouble? I said, "Do Do you do that? Do you do that on purpose? He went, He said. It's funny you say that. Mm. He said, we don't. He said, but I promise you, he said, this outfit's a lot cooler than your outfit. Oh, wow. he, he said, you just need to know that. And, uh, and the sandals are much better for your feet in the summer than wearing trainers. So a fair point. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah a fair point. But we always think about that. Okay. You've, you've been incredibly successful with what you've developed through social media, mm. TikTok in particular, with mm. some 1.9 million followers, mm. which is just an incredible number mm. in that space of time. But there's, there's, there's a man behind this kind face we see, and there's a story to tell. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can take it back to the early days, and you can tell me where you grew up, what life was like for you as a boy, and sure. uh, what mum and dad were like, and stuff like sure, that. Sure,
1: sure, so I grew up in London, I was born in Paddington, St. Mary's Hospital, and uh, born into a wonderful family, a family that, uh, you know, I couldn't have had a happier uh, childhood. Um, I, very comfortable life, Never, didn't want for anything. Anything that I wanted was 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 given to me. Very, you know, I had a, I had a lovely life. Um, and then my sister was born, and life changed because all of a sudden my parents realised that they they definitely preferred my sister to me um, because I was I was really naughty. By the time I got to six years old, I was I was really a mischievous young young whippersnapper. Yeah, you know, I just I was a terrible little boy. By the time I was, I was always trying to get attention by any means when I couldn't get my parents or the teachers to to give me the love and the attention I wanted I'd I'd create problems you know start fires in schools and all kinds of madness at a a really early age Um, don't skip over that start (laughs) fires in schools in the the toilets of the school not the whole school but in the toilets of the school so yeah taking matches get the toilet roll light it put it in 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 the toilet and then run out and just anything anything to get attention okay um so actually I was, and I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder when I was 26, I think it was. My mom finally then took me, to, that's another story, I'll tell you about that another time if you like. But um, around about six years old, I started to, to kind of misbehave. So by the time I was nine years old, they sent me off to boarding school. Mm-hmm. And they sent me off to Dartington Hall School in Devon. Mm-hmm. Beautiful school, such a beautiful place. And it had such an amazing reputation for education for close to 100 years. The year that I joined it, the owners of the school had passed away, and new people took over the school. And it just, they changed the entire philosophy of the school. The philosophy was we give children freedom. If we give children freedom, they'll learn to be responsible. So they gave us freedom, total freedom. So I started smoking when I was nine years old in the maths class. That was the first time I started smoking in the math class. I looked around, there were little boys smoking. I was like, what the, f- can, I ha- can I have one? They were like, oh yeah, sure, yeah. So I was like, oh thanks, I didn't know what I was doing. Wow. So I started smoking when I was nine years old in the math school and there were no school rules. You could do, as long as you didn't break the law, you could do whatever you wanted. You could go out at night till two in the morning, you could do anything at all that you wanted to do, you could do. So everybody did. Um, The school got closed down about two years after that for scandals, sex, drugs, and all kinds of just... You can Google it. Google Dartington Hall school scandal. You'll find (coughs) it all there. Um, But I actually got kicked out of that school before it closed down, which is always something I tell people. It's a school with no school rules, and I got kicked out of it. Um, They they just had enough of me because I was, again, very rebellious. And um, every school that I went to after that I also got expelled from. I got kicked out of every school that I ever went to. I failed every exam that I ever took. You know, I was an absolute wild child. I started all... I mean, I started smoking when I was nine. I started drinking when I was 11. And after that, just, you know, did everything that you could probably think to, to do. Wow. Just about everything that you could think to do. So I, I, was, I was out of control. But loving life, very happy, couldn't have been happier, very popular, very, you know, the the, the cool kid, you, you know, that everybody wanted to be friends with um, and very, very influenced. I remember being very influenced by Ferris Bueller's Day Off and The Breakfast Club and all those types of movies there and, you know, just trying to act this kind of rebellious character when in actuality, I um, I, I actually wasn't, I didn't want to keep on getting into trouble, but it was just the the pattern of, of behavior that I got used to, mm. um, so I, I as I said up until up until 16 years old I was just getting you know uh, having a good time I was raving partying I was just doing you know having a wonderful time but getting kicked out of every school like on a, on average once a year they'd have to my parents would have to put me in a new school mm-hmm. move me from school to school and um, then when I was 16 years old I was at a party completely out of it. And that's when my friend said to me, my friend Simon said to me one day, he was drunk and he'd been smoking, and he just said, Do you do you wonder why we're here? I said, Yeah, we're at a party. He said, No, no, seriously, why why are we here? Why, what's the purpose of being here? Are we just here to be like our like our parents and make money and you know, and then that's it, we die and that's the end of it. Is there more to life than this? I remember telling him, like, like shut up what are you doing what like i was an atheist growing up i didn't believe in god i didn't believe in in anything i mean i remember the one time i prayed three times in my life one time i prayed that god would make me i didn't believe in god but i remember praying to something three times in my life i remember praying that i'd be six foot i didn't get that i remember praying there was a particular young lady that, uh, that I wanted to, to be with, I, that didn't happen, and then I prayed that Arsenal would get the double, and, and they, they did. So <laughs> I got one out of three, but, okay. but I didn't believe in God growing up, and here my friend was telling me, what's the purpose of life? Yeah, I was thinking to myself, are you flipping out of your mind? I don't care what the purpose of life is, I'm, never in my life would I ever think about that question, but that question did stay in my mind. Um, after the party, and after we recovered the next day it, w- it was kind of there and it was it was there for the for the next couple of years mm-hmm. um, so that takes uh, that that takes you so what, I guess, eighteen to years old yeah
0: yeah, and so you're an eighteen year old you 've not got
1: great qualifications behind <laughs> you
0: did you have any crazy career ambitions at that point then
1: yeah i well, I was always i mean okay, yes and no when I was much younger, I started numerous Numerous businesses. I remember my first, my first uh, <laughs> I remember when I was, I think, 11 years old, we, uh, me and my friend Simon, same one, we called up 7-Eleven in Swiss Cottage, and we said to them, because I used to make really good tuna sandwiches, so we called up 7-Eleven and said to the guy at 7-Eleven, hi, we've uh, got a sandwich company, we're just wondering if we could interest you in some of our sandwiches. Simon spoke to him because his voice had broken, mine hadn't broken. So uh, he told the guy, we've got some tuna sandwiches and different types of sandwiches, would you be interested? And the guy said, yeah, bring them, sure, if you want to pass down. We'll take a look. To us, that was, oh, my God, we've got a contract with 7-Eleven. Like, this is this is it. We, we've done it. We've hit the big time. So we made up all these sandwiches. We wrapped them up in cling film. We got my mum's, we had this tray, and we, we walked from St. John's Wood up to Swiss Cottage, and we turned up, and we were like, we're here. And he was like, what the, what are they? <laughs> we were like, they're the sandwiches we spoke about on the phone. He was like, where's the packaging? Where's the sold what Are you mad? <laughs> um, yeah, we, we ended up leaving, and we gave them some, there was I remember there was a a homeless guy on the street, and we just ended up, we went into a a building trying to sell them to people in the buildings. They basically told us to get out, and then we just gave them to to a homeless guy. And so I I always had that want to do something, Um, but really in the back of my mind, I always believed I was going to take over my father's business, 100%. My my father's, my father had a a really successful uh, carpet and fabric business called Afia Carpets that he took over from his father, and I just knew that's what I'm going to do. And... No qualifications needed. The seat's mine. I'm going to be running things. I'm going to have because my fa- my father did really well for himself. He was always wearing designer clothes, going on holiday all the time. The latest, I mean, just incredible cars. And I was like, why? I don't need to worry about anything because I'm taking over dad's job. And um, that didn't happen. That 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 definitely didn't happen. Hmm. Yeah.
0: So tell me what happened.
1: <laughs> well, w- when I was when I was 18. Um, the question that Simon had to ask me at the party, which is what's the purpose of our creation, had, had gone around and around in my head so much that over the course of those two years, from time to time, I would try and find the answer. And I'd do that by looking into different religions, different faiths, um, uh, trying to find the, you know, the answer. Um, I didn't find any, any answers until I was 18 and I was on a bus going to, I can't remember where I was going, and There were some ladies on that bus and they were talking about Hyde Park Corner and Speaker's Corner and there was this place and you can go to Speaker's Corner and you can hear everybody talk about their faith and their belief and it's crazy I remember she said this lady on the bus I heard her say it's crazy it's it's really crazy and I thought oh crazy I like crazy so I'll, I'll, I'll go down and have a look so I went down to Hyde Park and Speaker's Corner and if anyone's been to Speaker's Corner as you approach it it's like going to a football stadium just the sound of the the people talking and and the the hustle and the bustle it's 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 unbelievable, the you know, the, the feeling you get when you walk in there. And I was thinking, this is nuts. And everybody here looks nuts to me. You had people standing on soapboxes. It was like something out of Monty Python, you know, Life of Brian or something. Everyone was just trying to, you know, call people to their way of life. And, and I listened to everyone. I was like, oh, no, thanks, no, thanks, no, thanks, no, thanks. And then I came across one, one gentleman. He was from, uh, uh, I think it was from Guyana, possibly. Or Trinidad, no, he was from Trinidad. I remember he was from Trinidad, and he was talking about the faith of Islam, and I didn't know much about Islam. I remember seeing, uh, you know, Cat Stevens one time on—I forget the show on Channel Four. I can't remember, but he was on—he was on a show, at, maybe it was Holland or something. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And he'd been talking about his conversion to Islam, and all I remember thinking is, "You're, you're absolutely mental." I remember seeing him, and I, he had his beard as well at that time. I just thought he looked like a mess. He's taken too much, too much stuff over the years, and your brain's gone. Yeah. So. I wasn't impressed by anything or anyone that I was listening to, but when I did listen to this person talking and he was talking about this book and the book was the Quran and he was talking about what was in it and he was sharing some of the verses, something about what he was saying connected with me. Not to the point that I believed him, just to the point that I was ready to, to listen to him. Yeah. And that was on a Sunday and I stayed there from about one till six in the evening. And, um, and then I went back the next week. I remember I had a Walkman. You know, and my cassette in there, and and I'd record him. And during the week, I'd listen to what he was saying again. Oh, wow. And that carried on for about six months. I'd go there most Sundays and listen to this person talking. The more that I listened to him, the more that I was I was convinced that there was something, there was really something in this book. That I was starting to become convinced of that. But I'd never spoken to him, and I'd never spoken to a, to to a Muslim about about Islam. And I was really nervous to do that because my understanding of muslims I'm, i still remember the the images are still in my, my mind of turning on the news and seeing you know terrorist attacks taking place and all i remember is, you know watching bbc and there were people hijacking a plane they had a machine gun in one hand and they had a copy of the quran in the other hand i just remember thinking when i was younger these people are absolutely nuts yeah. i mean they they've got something clearly wrong with them that's what i that's what i used to think so i was very nervous to speak to him about anything but after about six months I remember one Sunday I just, I kneeled down and I just, you know, crouched down and I just said to myself, Joel, that's my name before Joel. I said, Joel, you've got to speak to him. Just ask him for, you know, some books or something. I just wanted some more information than having to come to the park every Sunday. And um, I, w- I waited for him to finish talking. I went over to him and I said, excuse me, I, you might not have time for, much time for somebody like me. I don't know, but I'm, I'm really interested in, in Islam. I, I'd like to I'd like to know more about it and he said yeah of course he was he was really friendly and I didn't expect that I think and he said what would you like to know I said oh, I've got a bunch of questions but I don't really know anything I've just been listening to you for a while he said we'd like to sit down and talk I said yeah be amazing so we sat down we talked for a couple of hours I asked him all the questions that I had all the things that, that 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 kind of were in my mind and and the more I spoke to him the more the answers the questions that I had I started to find answers and I started to find that everything he was saying felt very logical to me. And at the same time, really strange and uncomfortable because I don't believe, I really don't believe, I grew up, I didn't believe in God. I thought religious people, you know, were crazy. I thought, that, you know, I used to, I remember listening to a lot of the music I used to listen to. I used to listen to the, the, Matt Johnson. He'd be speaking, a lot of the lyrics were about people being enslaved by you know, different doctrines, different faiths, and man-made religions, just there to enslave people. So I was really anti-anti-religion <laughs> for all of my life. Yet I couldn't ignore the feeling that I had in my heart, which was, this is all making sense. And I thought to myself, you either deny what you're feeling and say rubbish, just put it out your mind. You don't you don't think what you don't believe what you're thinking. You believe or you. Where I I remember saying to myself, you do believe what I actually believe. This all makes sense to me. There is a creator. We didn't get here just, you know, I don't believe that we got here just by a bang and that was the end of it. There had to have been a creator. And all these pieces started coming together for me. Hmm. And I said to him, I said, I think uh, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. You've got this guy that's willing to share some information
0: with Hmm. you. Were you at that point Vulnerable because you were maybe lost or felt you didn't belong somewhere, or you'd been creating so many problems through the years that your mum and dad had almost washed their hands of you. But mm. I like, and, and and to go from you know successful parents, family, home, love, attention, mm. probably spoiled along the way as mm. well, <laughs> to fancy schools where you got yourself in trouble. Were you in that space of being lost at that time? Because religion religion seems to find people at times when they're weaker than when they're stronger, mm. because it's almost I believe it's almost subconscious subconsciously led. Yeah. Can you just tell me a bit it makes about total,
1: that? Firstly, what everything you're saying makes t- absolute total sense, and I and I and I'm sure that does, and I've seen that apply to to a lot of people, but. My life, I was on, everything was, uh, although, of course, getting kicked out of schools wasn't, wasn't much good. But <laughs> you can see the but, positive in that, though. <laughs> <laughs> but my life, in terms of my life, was wonderful. I mean, I was, I was happy. My, fam- my parents loved me, despite, you know... You parents, being a little shit. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> they, I mean, they, they, they loved me. They, never, uh, they gave me whatever I wanted. I was, I was showered with love. I, I was... I had no need to go and look for another for another way, life was great. I mean, life was really as good as it could have been. So what was it about what was being said that was, was, was engaging okay, you? Okay, so what, I think if you think, if the way that I could explain it, that might make some sense to people to understand wh- what it was like for me, is that one realization, the one realization that opened everything for me was I'd been in complete denial that there was a creator my entire life, I'd, I'd, even up until when I was 18, when I first started going to, to to Speaker's Corner, I was still in denial. I still didn't believe that there was a creator. I, I didn't believe that at all. Once I started to accept myself, that there was, something's created us. That feeling there is so powerful that the only way I can really describe it is as if you were blind your entire life or deaf, And then, one day you can see, one day you can hear. The power of that moment is so overwhelmingly, you know, it's, it's such an enormous feeling mm. that I think it almost became undeniable for me to keep ignoring this thing. I didn't actually want to be a Muslim. I didn't want to uh, convert to Islam. I didn't want to become a religious person. But at the same time, I was always a rebel. Now, I thought about it as well. I was like, maybe I just did this whole thing to just... It's another way of me rebelling against my parents and everything else. But, but it, in my, in my uh, you know, from my, my personal uh, feeling and belief, it certainly wasn't that. It was, I want to do this, i know it's going to create huge problems in my family I, I do know it's going to create huge problems in my family but not the type of problems i'm used to causing see the problems i'm used to causing are i oh, got kicked out of school oh this happened oh that happened like you know fairly kind of well maybe not but by my standards <laughs> by my standards oh, wouldn't fairly, you go away with that in my
0: house fairly tame stuff um okay so that's really interesting mm. you say this it's like I want to know, from the moment that you started to engage with him and talk to him Mm. and he gave you his time and you started to spend a bit of time pursuing and learning more about it, how long before you decided to convert? What was the time period? Okay,
1: so I went to Hyde Park for about six months. Yeah. I spoke to him on that day, on Sunday afternoon, for about two hours. Yeah. At the end of that two hours, he said, do you believe everything? Do you believe that the the main, he told me what the tenets of Islam are, the basics are, do you believe that there's one God? And that you believe that all of the prophets, Moses and David and Abraham, uh, Jesus, you believe in all of those prophets? I said, yeah. And the final one being Muhammad. Do you believe that all of these men that were sent are prophets? I said, yeah. Based on everything I've been, you know, the last six months listening to, based on you, you answering my questions, I do believe that. He said, if you believe that, then would you, say, would you be prepared to, to, to say that? I said, wait, what do you mean? He said, if, if you believe in your heart now that there's only one God and that all of those prophets that I just mentioned are prophets of God, do you have any problem saying that? I said, well, no, I've always been somebody. I just say whatever I think. That's what probably got me into so much trouble over the years. <laughs> I do just say that. I said, no, I can say that. He said, okay, so I'll say it to you in Arabic. I'm going to tell you what that is in Arabic, right? This is how I'm t- describing to you what happened yeah, that day. Yeah, I understand. So he said to me, I'll, uh, so he said to me, I'll tell you how to say that in Arabic? Would you say it? I said, oh, I've got no problem saying it. So I said it. And the words in Arabic you say are, which means, I bear witness, there's only one God. And I bear witness that Muhammad is his slave and his messenger. Then he told me what I said in English. He said, my brother, if you believe this in your heart, this is all, you are a Muslim. You became, you are a Muslim. And he before I even had time to process it, he started embracing me. And then I looked around and there, were, there was a huge crowd which I hadn't even noticed had been gathering of 40, 50 people and they were all coming up to embrace me saying, congratulations, you're a Muslim. I said to him, no, no, wait, wait. I didn't want to become a Muslim. Not today. Like, this is, no. Like, uh, let me be a mini Muslim. I'll be a mini, mini Muslim today and maybe a, be a big Muslim in the future because I'm doing a lot of bad things that I know you shouldn't be doing as a Muslim. So he said to me, "No." it's if you believe it in your heart then this is the definition of a muslim as for what you do after that that's 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 your business but if you believe that in your heart there's no god but the one god and you believe in all those messengers that's all a muslim is you're a muslim and i remember thinking oh wait what like and that's when the guy came along and he said to me he he said oh you won't be needing these anymore i remember he grabbed my cigarettes and Went to go and rip my cigarettes. I was like, no, I'd definitely be needing. No, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I was really, at that point, knowing that I don't have to do anything. I'm free. I can say, like, no, I'm not going to be a Muslim. I thought to myself, well, hold on. A Muslim is somebody who simply, in Arabic, a Muslim means somebody who submits to the will of God. And you become a Muslim when you accept that there's no God but the one God, and all those messengers are messengers of God. So I guess I am a Muslim, because that's what I believe. And as I was thinking that, he said, oh, brother, we're going to the mosque to pray. Would you like to come? I was like, no, no, definitely not. No, like, no, I'm not going, I'm, I'm cool. I'll just uh, sit here and I remember everybody left. The sun started to set. I remember sitting on a bench in the park and I was thinking about what just happened. Knowing that the severity of me converting to Islam with my family was gonna be, I mean, I couldn't even start to fathom what, what, what a problem that was gonna be. And I had all these thoughts going through my head, and I, I became very calm. I became very calm and remember saying to myself, Joel, th- this, is the best, this is the best thing you could have done. And I remember feeling very, very at peace at that moment. I remember feeling absolutely calm with the fact that what I'd been searching for, what Simon had asked me six, you know, when we were 16 at that party, I felt very comfortable believing that I think I found the answer to that question. And that was the beginning of my, uh, my, my well, you say my first day as a Muslim 30 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay.
0: Goodness me. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> that, was, that was an amazing ride to be on really? just then with you. I was really into that. <laughs> mum and dad, your surname's Afia. So mum and dad are from where, where's the heritage from?
1: So my, uh, they're both from, they're, they're, they're all from the UK. Uh, my father's, father's 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 father, all the way back. We found, he didn't even, actually, he didn't know this until, until recently, until I said to him, You know, Afi is an Arabic word? He went right back until Spain. So we had some of our family from my father's side, we're actually in Spain.
0: And were your, were your parents religious? Not at all, no. Mum, not religious? No, no, at no,
1: all. no, not at all, nothing. So nothing,
0: so no religion in the family ever, no, no Sunday school experiences and no that kind of no okay. I
1: mean there was some there was some stuff early on, but I actually got kicked out of every of, of uh, every Sunday school they ever put me in.
0: where did you where did you go up St John's Wood. Or? yeah St John's Wood so, so just for the people that don't understand yeah. what it is because there'll be people out there sure. watching this
1: right now. St Johnswood's one of
0: the poshest parts of London yeah. um, so <laughs> <laughs> swiss has got St Wood there's mm. a, a very you know respectable part of north London mm. so um, so living comfortably in, a, in an expensive part of London people need to get some, some perspective on that yeah. um, so you now become a Muslim, mm. you sat there and you're thinking oh my goodness me yeah. tell me what happened I, w- I want to know about your first going to pray for the first time mm. and I also want to know about you sharing this with your parents <laughs> so right. what happened first so well the what happened first was going to pray for the first time okay so there's 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 a guy that has me in stitches mm. okay called Fuzi Chu. yes and i love him and i love <laughs> the way he, he he pokes fun in right. his religion in a, a nice you know fun way right. and so i've been to, uh, to abu dhabi to the mm. Great grand mosque in abu dhabi mm. and but I've never been to prayers. Yes. Okay. I've obviously seen prayers and Ramadan and Eid. I, I mm. bring food and stuff, but I've never been in wow. for prayers. The first time you went in for prayers, mm. what was it like? Did you not know what on earth you should be doing and not yeah. doing? Were you confused or was it, was it a different experience to what, I, what I'm imagining it might be? Um... Yeah, a bit of, a bit of everything. Hold oh, on, I need to describe. add something to this. Oh. I went to a Catholic church in New York once. Okay. Okay, I was on my honeymoon <laughs> oh, wow. back in 1996. <laughs> we are in New York and, and I, I went, oh, that's a really nice church, let's go and have a look. And we went in and as we went in and sat down, service began five minutes later. <laughs> now, I wasn't a religious person and I'm like, oh, they've shut the doors, yeah. we're in here now. And I said to my wife at the time, don't worry about it, it'll be enjoyable. Yeah. This, you know, There'll be some singing going on mm. and it'll be nice and it's obviously, you know... But the Catholics, they turn around and they shake each other's hands halfway through the different right. th- th- prayers and verses they're doing, and they say, "Praise be to brother." <laughs> yeah. I didn't know any of that, so I'm sat there, and all of a sudden, these people start turning around, and you have to repeat it to each other. And I do not yeah. know what I was doing, and I was like, "How do we get out of here?" So that's probably one of the one of the, the yeah. stories or experiences I had that would make me feel that that might have been quite an intimidating experience for yeah. you first. So please tell yeah, me.
1: Yeah, it was so. Um, The first time I went to the mosque was a few days after the Hyde Park experience. I went to Regent's Park Mosque, and uh, it's a very, very large mosque, uh, obviously in Regent's Park. And I felt very, very nervous walking in there, very nervous, because again, okay, I I had said that I'm a Muslim, but everything that I knew about Islam was really associated, or Muslims was associated with terrorism, everything I'd seen on the news, you know. So I was very, you know, really, really nervous. Scared, quite honestly, you know, walking in the first time because there's also when you walk into the mosque, Regent's Park mosque, when you go through the initial gate, you got about a five minute walk before you actually get into the mosque. Oh. So the whole time, my heart's pounding. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Am I might, you know, it's. It, I literally have no idea what the etiquette is at all. I have no idea how to act, what to do and what made it even more, more, um, I don't use the word terrorizing for me, but if I was very, very nervous, is it was my first time interacting with Arabs. And as soon as I walked in, all I could hear was people fighting and shouting. And I was thinking, oh my God, like it's about to break out in here. This is this is really what's going on? Like everybody was shouting, and, and I realized that actually you know, looking back, of course, nobody was fighting, nobody, they, it was just the way that they speak with each other, right? So, you know, of course, you know, being in the region for so long and being traveled around the world, that they're very expressive people. I mean, the same way that, you know, Italians are very expressive, but the Arabs, when they speak, and like, you don't know what they're saying, all you can just hear is, and it's just loud. And I didn't understand that at first. And and, and I remember they were, I saw people sharing food with each other, and and, and, and some people sitting down reading, and it was just the feeling of, I just felt I shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And I felt like walking out. I remember I felt like walking out because nobody, my my mom, my dad, my friends, nobody knew that I was doing this. I mean, and it, everybody would be shocked if they thought that, like, Joel's gone to, what? He's in a mosque? Like, no, it could never happen. So I walked in and then I just stood there and just tried to look, you know, tried not to make eye contact with anyone. And all of a sudden the uh, call to prayer was made and when i heard the call to prayer it shook i mean it shook me it gave me just i'd never heard anything like that in my life i'd never heard the call to prayer i didn't know what the call to prayer was and all of a sudden there was this just unbelievable sound made by the human voice and it was echoing everywhere and i was i was i was just thinking i mean i was scared you know it made me feel i felt like what the yeah i don't really know how to uh-huh. How to explain it, but I was just thinking.
0: I'm thinking about as you're saying that, I'm thinking about my youngest. My youngest, the first time she heard the call to prayer, oh. she was terrified. Wow. Whereas, whereas my my eldest yeah. thought they were just really bad singers. <laughs> <laughs> but my youngest was terrified and she's like, what's going on? And so I took her down to the mosque wow. at the end of the street oh, wow. to show her, look, it's mm. coming from these speakers here. Yeah. Okay. And what the man is doing is he's asking everyone to come to yes, church.
1: Yes. And she's like, oh, okay. Now <laughs> I understand this.
0: She was okay. Yeah. But at yeah. first, I think for some people that haven't heard it, like your experience. Yeah, it's I quite mean, intimidating yeah, yeah it was
1: very into and in regent's park mosque the people that do it they're usually egyptians and it's like an art form for them so the way that i'd never heard the human voice projected like that before i mean you know th- there was something that i'd never heard before and i just walked into the where the people were praying i sat down waited for about 15 minutes and then people stood up and it was time to pray and somebody came, I remember somebody came up to me and he said, are you new? And it must have been so obvious, Like, of course I'm new, I don't know what I'm doing. He said, just follow what everyone does. And I remember everyone just stood up and I just saw them move their hands and they were standing there and I was just doing the same thing. But of course, not knowing, I, I was looking around and you know, doing, all, doing all that kind of stuff, which nobody does. When they pray, they, they just look straightforward. But I was looking around, you know, just, I was just trying to take it all in. And then they went down into the bowing position. I was like, oh, what's going on here? And uh, I was like, all right. So I went, I went and I bowed, but I was looking left and right. And I didn't know, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know why I was doing it. I, I just was doing it. Then I went into the um, uh, prostration position where we put our face on the, on the floor and we, you know, face first on the carpet. And at that point, I thought to myself, yeah, this is, this is quite serious what I'm doing here. It, it dawned on me that I don't know what it was about being in that really, in that particular position that you're just literally, you're giving everything up. You know, you're just saying, I'm, you know, I just felt very, very um, humble by, by doing that. You know, my face on the floor, I don't put my face on the floor in my life. I've you know, lived a good life my entire life. I've, you know, designer clothes. I mean, if it wasn't Armani, I wasn't wearing it at that time. And you know, everything that I did was so luxurious my entire life. And my face was on the floor, like that feeling of my face being on the floor again. That that at that point, I remember being overwhelmed. And uh, at that point, I remember I had some tears in my eyes because I was thinking, this is, this is, this is. um this is very different to the way that I've lived my life and it feels very, very good.
0: So that moment, in that p- particular moment, mm. you became humble, humble yeah. humbled by it. Yeah, absolutely. Up until that moment, you're like, well, I don't know what's going on now. I know I'm in the right place, but I don't know what I'm supposed yeah, to do. In uh, no, that, that moment, it, it, something that just moment dawned that moment, I realized I didn't
1: need to know. I didn't need, in my mind, I don't need to know. I didn't, I remember thinking, I don't need to know anything right now, except I, I, I really believe that there's a God that can hear me when I'm praying. You know, there's, there, there is a God, there is a creator, and it became very, very, you know, it all kind of came together the first time I put my face on the floor. Because if you think about it, it's the most, one of the most, uh, it's not degrading, but it's one of the, you know, who, to put your face, for your face to be on the floor, it's just the, it just feels very, very um, um, humbling to do that. There's no arrogance at that point. All my pr- I was very proud growing up. You know, you couldn't really tell me anything. I'd do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, no matter who told me not to. But yet, that all kind of faded away. And wow. I think that's when I started to... Yeah, that was the changing of so who I was. So
0: you then... You, you, you leave prayers. Mm. You now know that there's some real meaning for you here.
1: Mm.
0: But you've got to find a way to... Share this information with one or two people that might need to know. <laughs> t- t- tell me about how you approached it.
1: Well, I didn't do anything. I avoided it as long as I for could. For how long? For about uh, almost six months. And were you praying five times a day? Or were no, you? I, w- I was. I was. For the most part, I was praying five times a day. But I was praying sometimes in my in my bedroom. Yeah, so okay. And again, I wouldn't know. I didn't know the words to say. So I'd 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 write it down in transliteration form you know, kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. I'd get somebody to tell me, okay, how do you, w- what are you meant to be saying? And I'd write it down in English and I'd stick it on my bedroom door and then I'd, I'd do my hands like that and try and read what I'd written. And, you know, I tried my best, but I was, I was praying. I was certainly making the effort, but it was, so, it was something I wasn't used to. So, for example, I'd wake up, my average morning, I'd wake up, smoke a cigarette, smoke some weed, go out of the house. That would be my normal start to the day after becoming a, before before i became a muslim after i became muslim things basically stayed the same for the first month or two but i would complete i'd wake up and i'd forget that i was meant to pray because you know it wouldn't even cross my mind that, oh i am meant to pray this morning so it took a it took a while to kind of get into the, the habit of yeah building yeah, yeah. new habits so i kept it quiet for a, for for a few months and then i remember i was reading did your did your friendship network in that six mm. months change at all? It's oh. not that I was I, I wasn't I didn't make Muslim friends. Um, I still felt really because there weren't many people like me in the mosque in, yeah. at that time. I mean, I was really there. Maybe there was one or two others that you'd see from time to time, but for the most part, people from Pakistan or from you know uh, different Arabic countries, yeah, and yeah. they they weren't they were they were quite insular they 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 didn't really look at me they probably thought what are you even doing here I mean there there was a lot of suspicion as well you know from from certain communities that Mm. who is this guy you know all of a sudden he's a you know claims he's a Muslim is he is he really you know there was a lot of that kind of stuff so it wasn't I didn't feel very comfortable being there a lot of the time but I remember reading a book and in that book it described the prophet and it mentioned in there that the prophet had said to the men to grow their beards so I was like oh yeah all right, because yeah, me if I uh, always when I was young, if I'm going to do something, I do it. Like I don't half step with anything. Set fire to a school? Yeah. I mean, uh, by the way, that nothing. happened more than once. By the way, one, yeah. <laughs> one time we demolished there were two school two school buildings and um, uh, King Alfred School in Hampstead, and one cool. of the schools was due to be demolished. So. We got drunk we destroyed it graffiti everywhere and my name was all over the place like joel was here and you know all that kind of stuff and then found out it was the wrong building we, we demolished we, we yeah vandalized the wrong one and um i remember my mom came to pick me up that day and we went home on the bus she was fuming she was so upset with me obviously rightly so and then to make it even worse there was a lady on the bus as, as we got off she said to my mom she said oh he's a lovely boy your grandson she was like, "Grandson, how old do you think I look and that, that that just made my punishment ten times worse when I got home so so yeah, so I was like, all right i'm going to start growing a beard i'm going to do it so you know that was another like, like what, what am I doing here so i 'd leave it for a couple of days and then it started to show more and more now in those six months, my as you asked me about my friends it 's not that I was making new friends, it was just that i didn't i wasn't i didn't want to go to nightclubs anymore I didn't want to go to raves i was you know, that, that's, I didn't, I just didn't want to do that stuff. I didn't want to go around people, you know, smoke weed and do all that stuff. I was trying to avoid avoid those things. So my friends got sick of me. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell them why I wasn't going out, but I just make excuses. I'm, like, I'm just gonna stay in. I would say to them, like, how about we just stay in for the evening and just just chill, you know, relax. And they, you know, they're like, what are you talking about? I'm not <laughs> doing that, you're mad. And uh, so naturally I think they, they kind of just, we, we, we grew apart a bit, you know? um so when I started to grow my beard I was like all right during that time my mum especially my mum had really started to worry about me like what's going on and I remember her saying to me something she was saying to me something's going on with you the, like the girls are not calling anymore that's the first thing She 100 she was like something something's you know I remember she had the talk and she said listen if you're gay it's okay you know you can talk to me I was like wait what Like, and she, where do you, why? Why are you saying? She said, because there's no girls calling the house anymore. You know, uh, regularly, most of my, a lot of my friends were girls and girlfriends, and they'd be calling on a regular, like, it was just what I, when I was popular. So she was saying, there's something going on, you're not seeing the girls anymore, they're not calling the house anymore, I'm worried about you. And it was funny, because she was worried about me then, but she was, when I was, she should have been worried about me, all the crazy stuff I was doing before, but um. When I started to grow my beard, I said, now I'm gonna to have to tell them because they're gonna start questioning, well, you got, how come you're not shaving anymore? And so I plucked up some courage and um, they, were, they were watching, I can't remember what they were watching that night. And I said, mom, dad, so you, you got a minute? And they said, yeah, yeah, what? I said, can I talk to you? I've got, some, I've got something to tell you. And they said, yeah, yeah, no problem. I said, all right, mom, dad, I've become a Muslim <laughs> and I remember it like it was yesterday, my dad just burst out laughing. He just started laughing. My mum didn't laugh at all, my mum just looked at me and almost in a very short, I can't remember, 20 seconds, her eyes, I could see tears in her eyes. I said, do you understand dad? I've I've converted to Islam, I've become a Muslim. And he continued to lie. He was like, all right, all right then Joel. All right, I'm watching TV. And my mum said, why? And I said to my mum, oh mum, it's a a long story, you know? And I was gonna start talking to her and it's a good thing I didn't because I don't quite know what I would have said. But she said, (laughs) she said to me, Is anything going to change about the way you look? Because my mum, and I love my mum. My mum has always prided, you know, she's she's so she's so um, uh, careful about her appearance. Like she she just always wore the most beautiful designer clothes. She was she until today so elegant, so fashionable. She knows everything about fashion. She's just a fashion powerhouse, And, and and appearance to her was. Was everything? So she wanted to know, are you gonna look strange now? Is, are you gonna look different? That was the most. That was really the most important thing to her. Is She gonna be embarrassed by me? So I said, um, well, not really, mum. But I said, there's a hat that I have to wear. I thought you had to wear a hat, right? As a, like these little. You might have seen them. Yeah, that, yeah. And I really liked them when I was, you know, before I was a Muslim. I used to listen to a lot of hip hop and you know rap, and people would wear those hats. It was quite fashionable. So I said, there's a hat that I'm gonna have to wear. Yeah. And I thought that you had to wear it, but you didn't. Obviously, you don't have to wear a hat. But I was, I was really new to Islam. And I was like, oh, I think you meant to wear one of those. Like, you know, so, for example, you know, in the Jewish faith, the men will yeah, often yeah. Wear, wear, wear something. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll wear, you know, I really like it. Yeah. I liked it. You know, Before, when I used to listen to, 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 to rap and hip hop, I'd see them wearing these little kufis. And I was like, yeah, it's good. So I said, yeah, I think there's a hat that I'm going to have to start wearing. She said, can I see it? I said, well, all right, it's going pretty it's going better than I expected. This comment's going all right. So I said, Yeah, I'll be down in a minute. So I went upstairs and I put it on. I was like, right, fixed it in the mirror. I was like, right, I'm gonna go and just, I'm just gonna go and show her now. So I, I was like, Oh, this is it, Mom. And she just burst into tears as soon as she saw me with her, she just no. burst into tears. And um, I don't actually remember how that conversation ended. So it would be disingenuous of me to try and tell you, but all I know is that she yeah, she she burst into tears. And um, I told him, Mom, don't worry, don't worry, it's me. I'm the same person. Like, it's fine. But, but at least it was out. Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was a relief. Well, no, I can say it was a relief. It wasn't a relief at the time. I was thinking to myself, ah, oh, f- probably. Now no, now it's now it's super uncomfortable because now they at that time, just like just like I used to, thought. That I'm gonna. In their mind, they're thinking, "Wait, he's gone mental. He's he's going to become a terrorist. He's going to, you know, we've lost our son. All of these things. They, they they started to panic. Later on, we we had a conversation. They said, "We're so happy that you did what you did because you turned your life around completely. Yeah. You know, had you continued the way that you were, I don't know how things would have ended. Essentially, you know, people fearing what they don't know. The the fear was, we've you know, we've lost our son. Yeah. Our son has." You know, because my journey took two years, two and a half years. For them, it happened over a TV. You know, they're having dinner and watching TV. And mm. all of a sudden, you know, the oldest son has just told them everything you knew about Joel in their mind. Everything you know about Joel, forget it. Joel no longer exists in their mind. That's what they're thinking. They're not thinking to themselves, oh, yeah. Oh, you become a Muslim, have you? All right, let's uh, talk about that. No, no, no. Was, there was just complete... So, yeah. so
0: let's go forward a little bit here and understand a bit more because you've now told them it's out of the bag. So you carry on going and then you go to prayers and you, you know, you're engaging in this new way of mm. life um, that's fulfilling in so many ways that mm. you hadn't experienced beforehand and gave you a renewed way of looking at the world. Mm. How old were you when you told your mum and dad?
1: I must have been about 18 and... I know, just 18 and a half, okay. yeah, almost so 19. So 18 and a half. Mm. And
0: let's go forward, because I want to know a bit between you, 18 and a half, and now getting married. Okay. And how old were you when you got married?
1: 19. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> just like,
0: if one of my kids came to me, I'd be like, that's not happening. So 18 and a half, you yeah. told your mum and dad, and in, 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 within a year, mm. you're married.
1: Yeah, a lot, a lot happened in that year. Yeah, so what yeah. happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after a few months of them knowing that I had become a Muslim, um, we started to, to, to fall out. They were very worried about me, very disappointed with me, and I was becoming more enthusiastic about my, about my, my faith and this new way of life. I so, wow, this is such a beautiful life that, that I've now discovered whilst at the same time to them it's the most, you know, terrible thing that could have happened. And I would get up early in the morning, this is one example, I would get up early in the morning to pray the morning prayers, which were around 3.30. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'd wake up, I'd, I'd, I'd pray so quietly, but no matter how quietly I prayed, my father would always, my dad would always get disturbed. I remember I'd be praying, my head would be on the, on the floor, and he'd open the door and it would i remember it hitting my head you know numerous times he'd be like what are you doing this is madness and he'd become he'd really get upset and but this would happen so often to the point that i mean when before we pray we have to we have to make Relations, evolution yeah. yeah so uh i used to go to the bathroom to do that but it got to the point that i wouldn't do that before sleeping i just put a bowl of water in my room and i'd use this little bit of water to, to wash before praying even when i did that one way or another he'd 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 become more and more upset, more and more angry with this new way of life that I'd taken. And I think a lot of it was just, unfortunately at that time, a lack of communication between us and also just fear. Mm -hmm. Fear of what I, in their mind, fear of what I was becoming and an inability to do anything about it. Whereas all the other times there'd been an element of control. Oh, he got kicked out of school, put him in another school, we'd we'll do this, we'd we'll do that. Mm-hmm. But I was always their boy. I was always Joel. I was always, mm-hmm. you know, still the 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 son that they always wanted. <laughs> in, in many ways, maybe not all the ways. But um this time there was there was a realization that wait, he's not he's not messing about. I mean he's really he seems deadly serious. So one night we went out for lo- we used to go to a lovely Italian restaurant every Friday night called uh, La Casalinga in St. John's Wood. Lovely restaurant, it used to be Paul McCartney's favorite restaurant, it was a really lovely small Italian restaurant, Casalinga. And we went there one night, and at the end of the meal, my dad said to me, all right, Joel, so um, this whole Islam thing, we get it, it's fine, you want to be a Muslim, but you can't be a Muslim and stay in my house. And then he said, well, you can be a Muslim, but you can't pray in my house. So, you need to choose. And I remember I just finished, you know. Your lasagna or whatever. Yeah, you know. uh, yeah, that's right, the lemon sorbet came, because I always used to get the lemon sorbet. I remember it yeah. vividly, and lemon sorbet came, I remember, th- I was, what? Like, what, where did this come from? And my sister was sitting there looking at me, my younger sister, she's younger than me, five years. My mom was looking at me, and I was thinking, wait, what's going on? We, we just came out for dinner, what's happening? Is something happening here? I was thinking, is something happening? I said, what do you mean, Dad? He said, I can't have you praying in my house anymore. You have to make a decision. It's either come home as normal, as our son, and leave praying, no praying, forget about all of that stuff, or you're not our son anymore. And I remember thinking, what are you, t- like how, what? What do you mean? You, you're not even religious. Like what does it matter to you if I'm praying or not praying? And and I said, I don't get it. I really don't understand. I said, I said to them, I don't, I don't, know what's going on. What, what are you? What's going on here? And he said, it's as simple as that. You need to decide now. Looking back, I know my my dad was hoping, and I can understand as a father, he was hoping that something so extreme, you know, like you're not coming home, would maybe be. They had not. They were. They they had no other nothing else they could do to to stop me from taking this path that I was taking, except to do something as extreme as saying, we're going to disown you. And I was thinking, yeah, right, of course you're not. We're going to disown you, you can't come home. So I said, um, I said, Dad, I said, I love you so much. You know, I love you, Mom, my sister. I said, I love you so much, guys. But I have to love the one that made you more. Um, this is what I said whether it was right or whether it was wrong this is what I said at the time I said I have to love the one that made you more and the one that made you and the one that made me has told me to pray five times a day so I really just hope that if there's any way that I can still you know I'll, I'll be even quieter than before I'm sure we can find a way but that said it's done you need to decide it's either us or it's your prayers and I remember at that point just thinking fuck okay. it It's the prayers, the prayers, I I can't, I can't, I had such conviction, I wasn't gonna say, I'm not gonna, you know, not gonna pray. My prayer was, that's my connection to to God. So I said, Dad, I love you, but I I can't, I just can't. He said, all right, you're not my son. As far as I'm concerned, you're not my son. I said, Dad. And at that point, they, they left, they left the restaurant. I was sitting there with my sorbet was melting. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, what, what the actual, like, what? What's happening? And they got in the car, I went outside the restaurant, and I saw them driving off. I'm like, wait, wait, I don't have any money. Like, I am not somebody who, you know, I'm used to a luxurious life. Like, I don't, like, this can't be happening. How, what do you mean? Where do I go? What do I do? How do I, like, I don't have money. For the first time in my life, like this, this is now a problem for me. I never had to worry about money before. Now it was a problem. I didn't have any money. We just went out for a normal Friday dinner, and anyway, and and at that po- yeah, at that point, I remember thinking, wow. So I uh, I walked to the local mosque and I waited in, in, outside the the mosque in Regent's Park, the same one that I first prayed in, and I waited there for the mosque to open for the Friday uh, for the morning prayers, so I'd have somewhere to to sit, and that was the start of the next chapter in my life. Yeah. Wow.
0: That's just, it's like it's your mum and dad. It's like if you can count on anyone, it's your mum and dad, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but I think that I can understand, I 100% understand you know yeah, the world today. The world today yeah, is pretty. If we
0: if we go back to when that time was, was that around the, the time that the Lockerbie bombings was happening? Yeah, so that, that, that was uh, so
1: that was 1990. This was 1992. I think it was around 1992, 93. A bunch of stuff was happening. There was, everywhere you looked, there was there were horrific things happening, in the name of Islam. I understand exactly. Looking back now, and now that I have such a wonderful relationship with both my parents. And having talked to them so much, I understand exactly why they did what they did, and and they 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 didn't know what else to do. To them, at that time, it was the, my mum told me if you were a a, a junkie, if you were a, you know a criminal, if you were a drug dealer, if you were any of those things, it would be better to me than you telling me that you became a Muslim. We can try and fix you, right? And get you treated. Right, right. This. Yeah, yeah.
0: I yeah. get it. I get it. Okay, so you've gone to the mosque. You, did you go home at all, get a change of clothes? Anything? No, 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 I, you there never was went no home to th- go
1: to. There was no home to go so to. So the door they was told, like you were done. They told, told me you know, don't come home. I, uh, and know. how long did you not come home for? Um, pr- at least six months, at least six months. So where did you get money from? Uh, I didn't, what happened was that I went to the mosque and I waited for the gates of the mosque to open. And then I stayed there and there was a, a person that worked there, very, one of the most beautiful people that I've ever met in my life called Mahmoud, who was actually from Saudi, but lives in, lives in the UK, he's a UK citizen. And he used to work in the mosque, and he saw me sleeping there. And he said to me, and he knew me anyway from you know the months prior to that happening. And he asked me what had happened, I told him. And he said, well, st- stay here as long as, as long as you need. And he, he would bring me breakfast. Um, I always remember he'd bring me the most beautiful uh, challah bread from Panzer Supermarket. And uh, <laughs> laughing cow cheese, and uh, you know we'd have breakfast together. And he said, "Don't worry, I'll you know try and help you." Or try, and then he told me that there was a job. And the thought of a job, by the way, was like, "What?" That was that was a big enough. job I don't a job. I don't work. I don't never had to work. I never had to thought about. To th- I never had to think about getting a job. And so anyway, he said to me, um, "There's a mosque, a new mosque that's opening, very small one. They need somebody." To open it in the morning for the morning prayers and close it in the evening after the evening prayers, and in return for that, there's no money. They can't pay you. It's a really small place, but they can give you a room, and there'll be food there. There's a small kitchen, and there's 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 books, and you can you know there's hot water, and you can live there, uh, you know, as long as you want to 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 open the door and close the door each day. So and I that did. Became your home. I had nothing else, so I did that. Um, which again was a very kind of humbling uh, experience for me because it was a, you know, I had a tiny little room uh, with, a, with, a, with a small bed. Which to a lot of people, of course, sounds like what an idiot. I mean, like, what, what do you mean you had a tiny little room? But compared to how I had lived my entire life, this was, this was something complete like I'd never done a thing like this before. This is and no money, I didn't have any money still. From time to time, Mahmoud would give me, you know, what he five pounds, ten pounds. And I, I called my called my dad a number of times, wouldn't pick up. Called my mum, she wouldn't pick up. And then one day, when I was in the mosque, I was told about a young lady who, like me, had converted to Islam. Her family also uh, were not happy with what she had done and effectively disowned her. And not entirely, but at that well, at that particular time very similar to mine. They basically didn't want anything to do with her. And she wanted to get married to somebody. She, she you know, because in Islam, we don't have boyfriends and girlfriends. So you get married. So she was looking for somebody. Would I be interested in meeting her? I met her two times, I think maybe three times. I was 19 and said, yeah, I'd love to marry you. Do you wanna get married? And so we spoke about getting married. And at that point I called my mom. And I said to her, mum, she picks up. I said, Mom, I know we haven't spoken. Please, can we just, I need, I need to see you. Can you speak to Dad as well? She said, your dad's not gonna speak to you. Um, your dad's not gonna speak to you, but I do want to see you. I'm interested in seeing you. I said, and so as soon as she said that, I said, Mom, I'm gonna get married. And she was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just can't you give us a break? Like, you know, this what? Yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, sorry, I said, I'm thinking to get married, Mum, and you know, I'd love you to come to the wedding, and I, you know, I really want things to be how they were, and blah, 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 and eventually, then she spoke to my dad, and then they agreed to see me, and that was the beginning of starting to- Rebuild. To rebuild, yeah.
0: So who was this chick then? Who was this, <laughs> who was this lady that came into your life? Oh,
1: she, she, without a doubt, is the best thing that ever happened to me in my life, you know? She is everything, so everything that I am today, it sounds a bit corny, but it's you know, it's the absolute truth. Everything that I have done, continue to do, would have been I don't know how I could have even thought about doing it without without her by my side. What's her name? Uh I can share her name with you, but she she's very, very private, you know? But I'll tell you her name is Khalijah.
0: Okay. Yeah. But she
1: she she's very she's very private. So for example, I've got one point nine million followers on TikTok. She'll never be in one of my videos. She tells me she's not interested in any of it. She's really She's very private, she doesn't go on social media, uh-huh. but she is an apps, she's a, yeah, she's an- how long, have you been, how long have you been married? 30 years.
0: Married for 30, 30 years, years from that two meetings. Yeah, we met twice. In St. John's Woods. We met
1: twice, maybe three times, and each time was very, very, it was just a short meeting, but there was just something that just clicked, and you know, and uh, I remember the funny, one of the funny things is I didn't have a job, right? She had her own flat. She was, you know, she, she's a chartered accountant. She, you know, okay. she's, um, she was doing really well for herself. And uh, she was, you know- You, little, you loser. She, few, yeah, <laughs> a few years older than me, but um, she, <clears throat> she had some money, you know? I mean, you know, she was doing okay. <laughs> me, on the other hand. <laughs> <Bum>. <laughs> so I remember when we, when, we, when we did get married, and uh, I went, after, the, after getting married, went to, to her, her flat, i remember i turned up and i just had a toothbrush and uh and a prayer mat and i'm thinking looking back now i'm like why did you marry me like what i had nothing like no job no prospects just why would you do it you know it didn't make any sense to me but she is yeah apart from my children the biggest blessing in my life is my wife so
0: 30 years of marriage
1: yeah how many kids five kids
0: two of them are here with us right now yes
1: they are yeah two of them are here very charming young men oh they are they are indeed that's why that's why they help run the family business with me because uh, and again family is something that is so I I'm very very grateful that I just have such a close relationship with with all of my children
0: about the kids you've got five kids yeah okay there was a sad story with one of them so what happened
1: so my uh, my first child was born in 1994 that's Abdullah my eldest and um, we then at a certain point, when, when Abdullah was born, and then the next one came along, life in London was, was not a happy life for me. I had managed to, you know, fortunately, thanks to my wife, get my, get my head together. I mean, remember, I was, that, I was a crazy mm. wild child, just partying, raving, no sense of responsibility. And now I was married, but I, was, I hadn't grown up in my mind. I was still only 19 years old. And, she helped to kind of get my head straight and start thinking about a career and i started working i did jobs i worked at brixton market selling perfumes i worked in supermarkets stacking shelves like i did whatever i could do to get 60 pounds at the end of the week to be able to you know put put food on the table but whilst i couldn't have been happier with being married and having children life was really difficult i I had there were a lot of uh, violent confrontations in London a lot of people you know i remember walking with my wife my wife covers and veils and you know people coming up and and, and trying to rip her hijab off and you know real there was you know you talk about islamophobia now but back then it was the, you know in the 1990s it was terrible and we didn't have cctv so you couldn't refer to the cameras or any, so there were some terrible things happening it was a very uh, aggressive place people you know they weren't used to seeing I guess somebody that looked like me, so not an Arab, not a Pakistan, no, an English guy, but he's got a beard and he's walking with, a, with somebody clearly as a Muslim woman. So people would you know wind down their windows, tell me, hey, go back to your country and all types of- All uh, kinds of conclusions. Yeah, it was a really horrible time. I remember being in Labrote Grove and I looked out and the, the skies were gray and I said to my wife, why don't we just go and check out some, another part of the world? You know, why don't we just go and check out another part of the world, see if there's somewhere happier for us to live. And um, I had I had a friend that was living in Morocco at that time, so we went to go and visit Morocco. And then after, you know, visiting Morocco, uh, I moved from Morocco to uh, accepted the job in Saudi and moved to Saudi. That's another that's another story. But to answer your question, um, at that point, when we were all in Saudi, I'd had four uh, four children, and then we had our fifth child and our fifth child was born with a very rare genetic condition called trisomy 9p it's very very rare and it it affects every every part of a child's growth and development so it affects the brain the kidneys the lungs effectively you need 24-hour medical care in order just to um, in order to get from the beginning of the day to the end of the day and so this condition that she lived with affected everything so she had to have open heart surgery when she was just under two years old, and then every part of her body was operated on. Her life was pain after pain, hospital visit after hospital visit. The children would have to have me as the one looking after them at home because my wife would often be in in hospital with her for up to 16 weeks, 12 weeks at a time. It was just very, she had a very, very difficult life. And I remember saying to my wife that our belief as Muslims is that when this life ends, the soul continues. So no matter... What happens in this life, there's an afterlife. This is, this is my faith. I remember saying to her that the, the day that Asma, that's my daughter's name, the day that she leaves this life will be the best day of, of her life because she's just suffering and suffering and suffering. And then one day we were due to take her for a hospital appointment and uh, she was sitting in our bed as she often would. She was seven years old and then uh, we were just getting ready to go for the appointment and my wife looked. Now, Asma had suffered, when I say suffered, suffered rip with operations and with needles and nurses being, you know, not very pleasant with her because she was difficult to look after with because she she needed so much care. She had suffered and suffered and suffered and was in hospital most of her life. On this particular day when we were getting ready to leave to go to this hospital appointment for her, my wife said, look, she doesn't look look normal. And I looked and immediately, I don't know what, how, but immediately I knew as soon as I touched her, that she wasn't breathing, that she had passed away, it was obvious to me. And she was in the most peaceful position you could ever imagine. This is a, a child that 70 or 80% of her life was crying, self-injurious behavior due to the pain. She'd bite down on her own tongue. She was in agony most of her life. Yet on this day, she'd been as calm as you could ever imagine. And just looking so peaceful and happy. And we realized that she had, uh, for nothing had happened. She just, that was her time for her to go and she passed away. We had to take her to the, rush to the hospital knowing that there's nothing they can do they try and you know they take her off for you and try and resuscitate her and do it's fine she you know she she's definitely <laughs> she's not going to get this one back she it was her time to go and that's when she passed away um a number of years ago now um she, I was, seven, say, seven years she was seven at the time and so yeah so she was buried in uh in riyadh and uh that was uh again that was um a testing time in 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 life, but uh almost a special one. You feel very blessed to have had that, you know, somebody like that.
0: Uh, I'm I'm so so sorry for your loss. It's I have two daughters, so mm. it's uh, unimaginable mm. for me. Yeah, of course. And and for you too as well, because you went through it as well, didn't you? Yeah. Um. You. Just telling me that story mm. then, there's there's something i find that's rather unusual about you okay and and i noticed this when i started to consume your content and and i see it in real life now Mm. you talk with passion and enthusiasm and you're a great orator very clearly and you are deeply positive Mm. about things that for many people or most people would be fair for them to be negative mm-hmm. how do you th- behave like that what is it that gives you that positivity what is it that, that makes you always it's almost like you're one of these eternal optimists
1: do you, do you believe that's what you're like i mean i am i mean uh, in, as we're recording this my children are here so they they'd call me out if uh <laughs> if, I, if i was if, if i was <laughs> if i was being disingenuous but um i mean i think they can they can confirm i am i i am hundred percent how you see me is how i am i have good days and bad days of course but i have you
0: hold on a minute Mm. i reached out to you for this interview you
1: usually have a team of people that reach out right i
0: reached out to you myself i haven't got my phone right now Mm. your response to my message was beautiful it was kind it was respectful it was considerate it was enthusiastic Mm. instantly Mm -hmm. now I don't know how many people reach out to you and message you. And Mm. I know that you didn't know me from Adam before. (laughs) Okay. But that's how you responded. Mm. I reach out to people from time to time. Mm. Sometimes you get no response. Sometimes you get a bit of research done. Then they come Mm. back to you three months ago. I didn't realize that you did this (laughs) successful podcast thing. Okay. You'll be loved to be on your show, but it, it, as soon as you responded, you responded, and I was just praying myself mm. that that was you responding, because oh. you responded in the character that I see on social media, mm. and I loved that. And as soon as you responded, remember I said you know you yeah. said um, you asked me some questions about the podcast, and I said it would be something I'd love to talk to you over the telephone about. Right. And you said that would be a great idea. Yeah, you have to understand the impact that small actions mm. have on people that are your normal
1: actions, but maybe other people don't see. Right. That
0: really resonated well, with me. Well, thank you for,
1: I didn't realize that, so thank you. I really but, did. But my, my thing is this, I think also, look, having gone through everything that I went through early on and seeing how I used to view, for example, people like myself, how I used to view people like myself, understanding the conflict that I had with my parents, understanding that, you know, okay, I became homeless, but I understood why I became homeless, and reaching a point, I think my, my whole thing... My 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 just the way that I am, I can't really necessarily Do you know what the word do you know
0: what the word is? Go on. You're kind. Okay. Just really simply okay. you're just kind. Alright. You're just a kind person. And there's not no. many kind people out there. We can all be kind.
1: It's like you are kind. Well, it's nice to hear. Um Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's true. I think, I, uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I'll give you an example, because I've got evidence of this as well. <laughs> the other day there was a video where you,
0: people were asking questions and one of the questions was or the comments was about women in Saudi society mm. okay how they're <laughs> treated you know are oh, they're this they're that all that stereotypical mm. stuff that we've all seen a million times mm. before and you said ladies please do me a favor mm. in the comments can you answer this and just from your own perspective mm. whether you're Saudi whether you're Arab whether you're expat mm. living in anywhere in Saudi Arabia just please comment and tell people what your experience is like yeah 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 it's so easy to react mm. to people that can be negative and yeah. uh, not negative it's easy to react to people that could be spiteful yeah, absolutely. yeah? it's yeah. it's not negativity because you can be almost philosophical about negativity because mm. you can place it yes but spiteful creates reaction mm. and so and, and you know we, we, we're human beings and it's kind of like all of a sudden it's <laughs> like you, you 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 know when someone's spiteful yes. i'll give you two examples happened here on the palm oh I made a video one day on the balcony and I was talking I can't remember what I was talking about. Anyway, the comment came after I posted the video. You don't effin live on the effin Palm Jumeirah. You effin this, effin that. You are in somebody else's house. Who the f do you think you are? Okay? That was the message. Now, I've learned when you get comments not to react, you know. And so my response was is everything okay? Oh my god. Okay? That was my That's response. What I do that was just my response nothing i then went for a walk that evening okay with one of my neighbors Mm. and every friday evening we walk at sunset Mm. and we talk social media actually okay Okay. she's an influencer. we just chat about stuff yeah we were walking down the street this guy's walking towards us as he comes towards us we part ways as he comes between us Mm. as he walks past us he turns around and says to me are you spencer lodge and my instant reaction is yeah he's obviously seen me online so yeah. i'm like yeah i'm spencer yeah yeah he said i see you online i'm like oh, nice to meet you what's your name scottish guy yeah he said i owe you an apology he said i didn't realize you lived on the palm but i can see you do right now oh walk in God. i was drunk the other night <laughs> and i was i was pissed off that you were faking it <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And i couldn't believe it and my friend my friend annika was like what the heck you know Another time happened when somebody wrote some really negative comments on a video and I responded, are you okay?" Because to write comments like this, you can't be in a very good place right now. Mm. He then responded with exactly the following. I've been sat on the toilet for the last 30 (laughs) minutes trying to delete this comment. I can't. (laughs) I've never trolled anyone before in my life and I regret trolling you now. I promise I'll never troll anyone again if you delete this. Wow. (laughs) I just responded, no. (laughs) what i was thinking is <laughs> happy shitting but anyway, yeah. so people can be you know and, and you can react a certain way and mm. if you look at so you know we have a social media team and some of my social media teams say sometimes spencer you come across a bit shouty <laughs> <laughs> when you make your videos it's like you're shouting at people sometimes okay. but you don't do that mm. I, I have i have watched for a few years now, I've, I, I'm sure more than, more than 50 or 100 videos, I don't know, but it's a lot of your videos. Mm-hmm. And this temperament that you have, mm-hmm. I really admire. You're trying to get a message across, clearly. Mm-hmm. Tell the audience what message you're trying to get across and why, why people should be, or what benefit people can get out of engaging with your
1: content. I think my message was behind everything that I do. Is, is, is simply putting out there a positive example of somebody who's living amongst you, one of you, i.e. one of the human race, l- might look different to you, but in so many ways is just the same as you, and is a, I don't want to say kind, but just a, a, a person who's able to give something a value to to people, and that's all I try and do with anything that I put out. So, for example, when I when I was younger, up until my mid twenties, I was very hot headed. I mean, I, I would f- I would flip like that, and you know, with my, my my ADD, I would I, 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 I would just say whatever I wanted. I would get getting confrontations all the time, and i you know wouldn't hesitate to say the wrong thing or you know behave in an inappropriate manner. Looking back on it now, in terms of you know communication. Um when I when I when I changed the way that I behaved I realized that everybody that might behave in a particular way can change and knowing that people can change is just such a such a such a massive thing so for example what you said about people sending those comments to you I get that all the time I get DMs nonstop but some of them are so abusive incredibly abusive I get some really terrible things said to me in, in DM. I can't remember. People called me the N-word. People just called me all kinds of crazy things. It don't even make any sense. I, I often say to them, that they know my, my, my go-to saying is, are you feeling all right? That's so what I say. Are you feeling okay? But from time to time, when people say really terrible things, I engage with them. They don't expect me to reply, and I'll send them a message. I'll say, look, I'm really, I don't know you, but you seem to be really angry about about me, or and I, and I don't know why that is. And I start to have a, a, a you know, communication it, with yeah. them. And you... Unbelievable. I've shown you you've seen the messages. People just do a U-turn. They, they, they're like, oh my god, wait, I didn't I didn't think that you were gonna respond. I was just in a really bad place. And when I saw your face, I just I <laughs> said what I said. And you know, I, I just feel that when you engage in my content, when you consume my content, you're just gonna see one thing. I hope that you see a genuine person that's putting out some genuine positivity and showing that it sounds really corny, I know, but I don't want to say we can all live together as one, but there's absolute truth to that. You know, I, I come from a mixed family. Uh, you know, I, I get on with everybody. It doesn't matter what your faith is. doesn't matter where you're from. We can find some common ground and, and we, can, we can get on. And if, you, if people can do that, then um, obviously the world becomes a little bit of a better place if everyone's, you know, doing their, doing their bit. So you're, you're
0: everything I hoped for. No, You're true. everything I hoped for. I uh, you sound, really are. sound like my wife now. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not that bit. <laughs> it's, it, it, I could sit and spend the, the rest of the afternoon talking to you, but I'm very conscious of everyone's time. Mm. So for now, and maybe we'll reconvene and do this again, but for now, Abdur-Rahman, thank you so much for
1: your time. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure Pleasure being with you today, Spencer. Thank you.